You're listening to Take as Directed, a podcast on global health policy and the news, events, issues, and the people it affects. The problem is the world is in a shortage of vaccines. power and strength in women is the role because that maternal child and fear health and nutrition is what drives this disease and, t- and keeps it in the dark. I'm Steve Morrison, director of the Global Health Policy Center at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. In this podcast, you'll hear conversations led either by me or by my colleagues, Sarah Allender, Janet Fleischman, and Nellie Bristol, who serve as recurring hosts. We interview leaders fighting against some of the biggest public health challenges of our time. In this episode of Take as Directed, my colleague Sarah Allender sits down with Dr. Robert Mwadime. He is the chief of party of the USAID Integrated Community Agriculture and Nutrition Activity in Uganda, which is a program administered by APT Associates. Dr. Mwadime has spent his career working with local governments and donors to administer nutrition and agriculture programs. He also shares his thoughts on the future of U.S. investments in nutrition and the importance of multi-sectoral approaches in improving health outcomes. Welcome, Robert. Thank you very much. Yeah. So first question, how did you get interested in nutrition and what piqued your interest in this field? I'm actually trained food scientist. Mm-hmm. I'm a food scientist technology expert, so that was my first degree. And then from there is when I did nutrition, I mean specifically food economics and nutrition. And then I came to the U.S. at Johns Hopkins and did my master's in public health and started my Ph.D. in health economics, but eventually it ended up being agricultural economics. Mm-hmm. So I left and went to Wageningen University to do agricultural economics and nutrition. So actually my initial work was mainly on microfinance institutions and how women were getting loans from the microfinance institutions allocate their time for health and nutrition was one of the aspects of growth monitoring. And so since then, I've been in nutrition. Then I met someone called uh, Kojil, uh, who actually encouraged me to join them in Fanta. And from there, I left the university, and I've been in nutrition since then. <laughs> it's a long time. I'm originally from Kenya. So in Kenya, actually, I used to teach at the university. I used to teach nutritional epidemiology, biostatistics, very complicated things, supervise students on their research. And then my wife got actually an opportunity in Kenya, in Uganda, and we moved to Uganda. And we've been there. We went there for two years, and we've been there for 20 years. <laughs> you can see everything just lead to another. And when I was there, I got my first job. So first I went there, I was a visiting lecturer at the university, Macquarie University. And since then, I got a job uh, with AED, the Academy for Education Development, specifically FANTA. And I worked with FANTA for 12 years. And then I started leading programs from then. 
So in that 20 plus years of experience building on your previous experience in academia, how have you seen this field of nutrition evolved in terms of local interest, government interest, and donor interest? I think nutrition is a very interesting field. It, it has ups and downs. So when I first went to Uganda, nutrition was very highly placed within the Ministry of Health. It was mainly a health issue, very well placed. And then as time went on, it stopped being a division. It became a unit. It was even lowered down. And now as we speak again, it's gone up again. So it's always having ups and downs. The same thing in agriculture. It was just a unit in uh, uh, an economy, food economics unit within agriculture. And then it just changed. And now it's a nutrition, food security division by itself with all the stuff that are needed. So you can see within government itself, it's, it's just grown. Uh, but it has its ups and downs, so it grows. My my fear is that sometimes all this growth, especially in government, is linked to individuals. So there's someone who is very key, who is seen in government and becomes a champion for nutrition and is used by all of us to alleviate the position of nutrition in the country, probably also mentors the younger ones, and we keep growing and moving to higher levels. So in Uganda, we were very lucky, actually, to have such individuals who ended up being very senior, who were very senior within government, and they helped us elevate the position of nutrition. The same thing has happened also in the mission. Uh, the mission, when we first went, I was in Uganda, there was actually no specific intervention that was dealing with nutrition. Nutrition was embed embedded within health or within the humanitarian uh, programs, especially Food for Peace programs in the north. In that time, we had challenges in the north, so most of them were... Uh, food for Peace programs, handling the issues of nutrition in that area. Uh, of course, the UN with World Food Program, UNICEF, were handling nutrition also from a humanitarian point of view. So a lot of what was happening in nutrition was curative in nature. It was based within the health unit. It was about supplementary or therapeutic foods. And it was just about curing those who have severe acute malnutrition. But as time went, the focus just shifted. I don't know whether it's because the crisis ended and those issues that were forcing us to go towards curative ended. And now you find a lot of it is now is preventive. So we are all talking about preventive nutrition. It's moved out of health and agriculture. Now you go to Ministry of Gender, Labor, and Social Development, and you find there is nutrition. In fact, a number of programs now are linked to that ministry because they see nutrition as a, something that needs to happen at community level. Uh, that's the ministry which has structures on community development at lower levels. So you, you see now it's expanding out of just health and agriculture to education, to social development, to trade, and others are being engaged in this whole dialogue. Um, the biggest changes also have happened within the mission itself. Mm -hmm. we, yeah, within the USAID mission, where you find when I first went to Uganda and I was working with Fanta, we didn't have a nutritionist within the mission. Uh, we had a doctor who was 
in charge of other activities, health specifically, family planning, I remember. And she was the one who was like the focal person for nutrition. And there was no real nutrition activities. Uh, But since then, a lot of changes has happened. We have a couple of nutritionists within the mission itself. So within the mission, they are able even to advocate for nutrition, to drive the nutrition agenda, and also to to be, they have professional interest mm-hmm. in this field, and they're employed to, to support that field. So you, those changes alone, you can see a lot of changes has happened, the way they manage programs, the way they want nutrition to be reflected in a number of these programs, I could attribute it also to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, But it's not only just government and USID, but as with also other donors, now you find DFID with very beautiful interventions on uh, integrated nutrition within the UN. You find the World Bank with a multi-sectorial nutrition program in 15 districts that is through the government. So you 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 just see it's it's it's, is a whole different change that has happened throughout the country, and it's an exciting time. You raised a lot of good points, and I want to pull out the particular point you made about political leadership. I wanted to hear a little bit more about that, particularly in the context of the youth population in Uganda, which has one of the highest birth rates in the world, with 48% of the population currently under the age of 15. And given the demographics, we're going to see that grow uh, continuously into the next few decades. So I'm curious to hear about President Museveni and his thoughts and perspectives on malnutrition and and youth in Uganda and also how he was engaging you to get feedback on how to do things differently in the future. So I think it's, it's uh, yeah, the president was involved discussing with us the issues that are there in the UNAP, the Uganda Nutrition Action Plan, as he, we asked him to inaugurate some of this, this plan. Uh, but, but maybe to answer your question, the issue is, is, is even beyond that, is also the structures that the president has himself put into place. So him and his government, they've put place. So there's the youth... A livelihood program, which is actually intended for the youth to be able to find employment in agriculture or in agri-agriculture or even non-agricultural activities. A lot has happened that can, of course, through that program, that can, of course, impinge on nutrition. There is, of course, Operation Wealth Creation that has targeted also the young people to a large extent, and groups of young people. The question is how do some of these programs translate to improving nutrition? And whether these programs actually, by themselves, the way they are being done now, can produce the result that makes a difference in the nutrition of the youth, but also the nutrition of their current households or future households. And I think... That's where we who are doing programs can actually see the goodwill of the government in reaching the youth and the programs that they've put together to reach the youth of Uganda and see how do we add value into them. And I think that's, that's, that's a discussion we should all have. 
And it's a discussion that we have brought ahead to see how do we actually do this. One, because there's goodwill within the government itself. I think the president and most of the leaders, the ministers, some of them, they actually understand where the problem is. They actually have good intentions. The question is first, do those intentions align with what USAID and others are also? Because also USAID has good intentions. But do those two intentions align with one another? I know many times we say we are supporting the agenda of the government, but sometimes really you don't see it on the ground. You see a USAID program implementing its activities with demands for uh, results, and sometimes you don't see a very close linkage with what the government is doing. And I think that's why I'm calling for us to add value to government activities. See how do we work with government and improve the quality of those programs to produce the results that the government intends, and that is, of course, also our results. And I think currently I'm very excited because that's the direction now you can hear from the mission. That question, you hear it often now. Unlike in the past, how are you working with the government is a major question. We have to demonstrate it. Amongst different people within the mission, that is an agenda they're asking. Are you building capacity of government people? Are you working within the government activities, not just aligning your activities with theirs? And partnerships with government, a different way of partnering with them is called now under the CDCS2. So, and the question is how effective this will be. Nobody knows. We need to, to, to monitor and study whether actually working with government adds any value and whether we'll be able to be flexible enough through our mechanisms and through the way we work to, uh, to, to be able to work with government. Because government also works in a different ways. The, the people who implement those programs have different interests sometimes, personal interests, whereas maybe USAID doesn't want those interests. They have interests for the community. But the same thing, you'll find there are politicians. How do we work also with those kind of people? They have interests, sometimes personal, but also sometimes for their communities. And one thing that I... I keep asking is that politicians have interest of the community with uh, Rwanda. If the president has an interest, why don't we move in to support that interest? We are very likely to succeed, has a good interest that is also within our mandate. So if, for instance, a politician has an interest in a certain area, why don't we just go and say, okay, we are going to support you to get your interest in feeding many more people. So let's make a win-win situation. What are you bringing on the table? <laughs> and then we tell them what we can bring on the table. Mm -hmm. And I think that skill of actually negotiating with such leaders is something that we need more and more within our programs. And I think for Uganda now within the mission, if you read the CDCS2 and the guiding principle, a lot of that now is, is possible, mm -hmm. where you can negotiate a win-win situation with local leaders and build their ability to become even better leaders to produce the results that uh, improve the welfare of the communities.
Another one of the issues that we didn't really get a chance to delve into was the issue of climate change. I know from my personal experience in Uganda that we're seeing a lot of change in the wet and dry seasons as effect as an effect of climate change, which is having an impact on agriculture with farmers not knowing when their harvest is going to come or whether they're going to be able to dry their crops for, for market. I wonder from your vantage point how you're seeing climate change and whether um, and your thoughts on how it's affecting not only agriculture but nutrition and whether you've seen any movement toward talking about this issue in Uganda. Yeah, I'll just take it from the last. There <laughs> is that movement. I think nobody is uh, saying there's no climate. It's obvious. Mm-hmm. We can see mm-hmm. the effect. We can see how it's impinging the way we do things. But the interesting thing is this new way of thinking from a resilience perspective. Mm. And I think I'd never worked on resilience programs. This is the first time. We're actually the flagship of resilience uh, objective within the mission. So we have to learn a lot about resilience and how to operationalize it at community level. How do you do communities define it and so on? So it's, it's an interesting time. And you can bring not only climatic change, but also conflicts that happen, price issues, market price issues that happen. So you bring all these kinds of hazards and shocks that can happen to a farmer or to households in the design of the program and implementation of the program itself. And so you think about all this, because we know climatic changes are affecting pests, control not just the, the, the precipitation of, of, of rain and everything and how it happens. It's affecting so many other areas of health, areas that we didn't have mosquitoes, which are malaria mm-hmm. causing, you know very well in Uganda now they have was <laughs> shocks to do with malaria some seasons. Uh, so we have to think of it from all those sides. But how do we integrate this within our designs is to make sure that as donors like USID is asking for proposals, as government is designing their interventions, resilience is one of the big issues. So I've seen very innovative ways of doing it, where people are having these resilience networks at district level. The government might be having disaster management uh, teams or committees that meet. Uh, and so these committees with some of the partners, USAID partners, form a resilience coordination mechanism at district or sub-regional level. And it brings in different partners. It brings the private sector, market players, because if there's a drought, the bridges might break, food might not come on time, prices might increase. So why not start involving them before it happens? And we plan what we need to place and put in place so that when it happens, because it will happen, <laughs> we are ready and we don't have the same level of price increases. They might increase or something, but we'll have thought about it. So the private sector, the religious and cultural leaders are there. The other 
programmers are there from different partners and becomes a mechanism of coordination and around which we build our efforts together to plan for something that has not happened that we think will happen anyway. And it's been a mechanism of bringing people together. So I can say this climatic change, because it affects all of us, health, agriculture, social development, is just a mechanism of bringing us together to work together, something we have resisted over time through building the resilience of households. And now I think it's, 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 it's an opportunity for us to take opportunity of a problem and make it work for our programming and the way we design and manage interventions. Going back to the leadership piece, one of the things that we often ask our Take Us Directed guests is what advice they would offer to policymakers here in the U.S., particularly members of Congress. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations over the last year within our team here at CSIS around the business case for investing in nutrition uh, and making those arguments to, to Congress. But if you had the chance, what would you say to members of Congress about why investing in nutrition is so important and how that resonates in your work? Maybe I would approach it from a different perspective. Okay. I know we all go with the data to show the contribution of nutrition to health, the contribution of nutrition to development, and the losses that you'll make if you don't invest in nutrition in the next 20, 50 years. What if I had data to show Congress that nutrition is the glue that actually or the magnet that actually brings all these interventions together to work in a more cost-effective, in a sustainable way, and to bring able to think about resilience. If you ask anybody about resilience in some of the countries we are working with, the first thing they think is, oh, drought, oh, food, oh, and <laughs> I'll be malnourished. And... The thing is, it ends up to nutritional status of anybody. We did it with Parliament, and we were shocked. It just went from drought and disease and what, and finally it ended up to malnutrition. <laughs> and it's just to show that it is the magnet that brings all of us together for the welfare of the person. Because the, what is the bottom line? Is the wellness of the individual. And there's no other better wellness than nutritional status. If we are all working together and they can show people that that's the aspiration of everybody is to be well, not only myself, my children and everybody else. And the bottom line is that then it will be even if it's dignity that you want at the end of it all, I cannot get that unless I can think, articulate and express myself adequately in any forum I want. I was very shocked recently where we were discussing gender-based violence and a woman stood and said, cook for your husband well, he will not beat you. But she was telling the other women, mm -hmm. and this is a politician, oh that if you mix <laughs> the foods nicely, he will come down and you'll be able to get all other things. <laughs> and he actually said that the way to the heart of the man is food. <laughs> So you can see, you can actually make nutrition the the focus of what we are discussing. Uh, and then you show how all these things mm -hmm. can actually be coordinated best from a nutrition perspective. And I think Uganda did this with the DNCCs. Many times the sectors are the technical areas of their sector. They had no 
common goal to bring them together. But the district nutrition coordination committees brought them together to discuss issues to do with food security and nutrition. And then now it became very good forum for them to discuss other issues. Thank you so much, Robert. This has been an excellent conversation. I feel like we could probably talk for uh, several more hours. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Take Us Direct. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss our latest episodes. To learn more about U.S. government nutrition investments in Uganda, please visit the CSIS Global Health Policy Center program page, and please read our report, Improving Nutrition in East Africa's Breadbasket.